Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. That's right. Welcome back to it, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, people all around the world. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 11, and we are going to be wrapping up the uh, discussion on taxation without representation today. And just a little bit of uh, correction to the uh, the prior episode. I was um, going back in some of my work and looking at the copy of the Magna Carta that I had pulled those quotes from in episode number 10. And I found out while I was looking over a copy of the Magna Carta that was uh, housed the UK government, I was uh, noticing that there was um, a difference between what they had and what I had. And what it was was there were two sections of the Magna Carta that I had quoted. Uh, It was section 12 and section 14 as uh, cited in the uh, common translations of the Magna Carta from 1215. And the first sentence that I quoted was not in the UK government copy. I believe the UK government copy to be accurate in this case. So, but the rest of it was fine. I just wanted to make a make mention of that in case uh, somebody went cruising for a copy of the Magna Carta and noticed a difference between what they're seeing and then what I quoted originally. Uh, so the in, in section number 12, the very first section that I quoted of the Magna Carta, where it's where I quoted uh, no tax or scuttage except by the general council, that, that wasn't in there. It continued on, and this is the actual quote from the Magna Carta, quote, No scutage or aid shall be imposed in our kingdom unless by the general council of our kingdom, end quote, etc., etc. That was uh, perfectly accurate. The words change a little bit depending on the translation that you're looking at, but for, but the the obviously most of the words, the intent and the meaning behind it are exactly the same. Same thing in section 14 where I said, quote, uh, general counsel shall consent to assessment of taxes, end quote. Yeah, that wasn't in the UK copy from the government, so I don't think that that was, that was actually in the original text. Uh, w- basically, where it is accurate uh, in section 14 was, quote, was from this point forward, quote, and for holding the general counsel of the kingdom concerning the assessments of aids, end quote, etc., etc., from th- that point on, it's, it's perfectly fine. Uh, as best as I can tell, based on everything that I've looked at. So uh, my apologies for the inaccuracy there, but uh, you know what? That's this podcast for you. If I spot something that wasn't quite accurate or something that was a little bit off in a translation or a copy that I have of something, I'm going to tell you. I just want to let you know about that. Other than that, like I said, everything else that was quoted last week, or excuse me, last episode was, um, I think, fine, uh, based on everything that I went back and looked at. So no worries there. It happens sometimes. Uh, again, these documents are really old, and sometimes you uh, end up with a preamble that was added in there by an editor or something, and it's not in the original text. So there you go. But anyway, so we're going to continue on with that. Of course, uh, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast, and thank you for joining me again on episode 11 here. If you listen to episode 10, I appreciate that as well. And if you're one of the regulars uh, listening to this podcast who check out every episode, you're awesome. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. You know, it's my personal opinion that all 320 million Americans should be listening to this podcast. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I, I it's my podcast and I want 320 million Americans listening to this podcast. I say it because it's a, I think it's an incredibly educational podcast and it 
you know, going into the documents like this, you know, it's sometimes dry material. It really is. Not a lot of people really get their excitement from reading the Magna Carta or listening to somebody else certainly talk about the Magna Carta. But you folks who listen to this podcast, I'm not saying it's an exciting experience for you, but at the very least you're here and you're here because you want to know more about the origins of the United States of America, the, the real beginning of the United States, around about this time frame, 1774 and, and forward. And that's a good thing. The more people want to learn about the beginning of uh, this country, the, the better off we will all be. The country is better off because of you. And if you're overseas, if you're an international uh, individual listening to this podcast episode just because you're, you're interested in American history or you want to learn some... Uh, some of the, the the old lessons in politics and interactions between people and their governments. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be good for you to listen to this podcast as well. There's just a lot to learn here. History is is what it is, and we all we all study. I think a little bit of international history. I've studied quite a bit of the Roman Empire, uh, ancient Egypt, and so on and so forth. I'm interested in it all, even though it. Uh, not just American history, obviously. History is what it is. And I, I often, you know, am confronted by this thought that some people have, you know, why is history important again? Why why in the world are we spending so much time talking about the Founding Fathers here on this podcast? Well, number one, it's, it's a podcast about the Founding Fathers, but also because it's important. People tend to be focused in today. Today and tomorrow, that's what people focus on. What are you going to do today and what are you going to do tomorrow? Nobody cares about what happened yesterday. Not very much anymore. There's something about the United States in the last 30 or 40 years probably that's just, it's really changed. Maybe it's maybe it's always been that way, but honestly, I don't feel that way. I feel like it's changed recently in the last few generations that people have really just given up on history. I talk about that quite a bit over on the Patreon side. I dropped a podcast. It's episode number two. But how in the world do you know what to do today? and know what to do tomorrow if you don't understand what happened yesterday. If you really think about it, everything that you do today and everything that you're going to do tomorrow is because of something you did yesterday or because of something that you did last week, last month, last year, last decade, etc. You can't do tomorrow without last the last decade. You can't. You go to your job tomorrow, good luck doing that without having done what you did last week. Good luck with that. You're going to work on your car. You're going to go outside and turn a wrench on your car this weekend. Good luck doing that without doing what you did the last decade. Either learning how to work on a car, learning how to handle tools, learning, you know, how to drive a car, how a car works, etc. Good luck with that. It does. It's, it's no different on, on a societal level. It really is no different. Countries have no idea what to do with themselves unless... They know what happened yesterday. And the problem with the United States today is there's a lot of problems, but one of the big problems is that people, there's no societal knowledge here about what happened yesterday, generally speaking. Now, we got some great historians in this country. I talked about that in episode one. There's some great historians who've written some great books, and we've got some great amateur historians uh, like myself, history buffs. And I think that's probably a lot of you folks out there listening to this podcast. I really do. I think a lot of you folks are here because you're history buffs and history enthusiasts. And honestly, you keep this country going. It's people like you that keep this country going. Because you're the educated ones. You're the ones who are knowledgeable about what the past tells us. And that informs your opinion about today and tomorrow. So you don't make the same mistakes that this country made 40 years ago or 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, or whatever. I'm glad to have you folks with us. I really am. And if you know if you know anybody who is largely ignorant about these things and really just needs to get up to speed on what happened at the beginning of this country, share the podcast with them and bring them over so that they can join our team over here. 
uh, learning about this material and getting up to speed with what happened yesterday. And by yesterday, I mean a couple hundred years ago. Because the more people that we have on board with this, the more people that we have knowledgeable about all this, the less mistakes that we're going to make today and the less mistakes we're going to make tomorrow. And you don't want the country making any more mistakes than it already has. Uh, like I said, a, a country that doesn't understand what happened yesterday is like a, it's almost like a, a wild animal flailing in every direction with no idea, no sense of itself, no sense of direction, no sense of purpose. And that's a dangerous thing. A country that has no sense of itself is a very dangerous country. Very dangerous indeed. And we, we, uh, we, have to, we have to try to solve that. And together, we're doing that. And I thank you for joining us on this trip. And again, today, let's, uh, let's continue talking about the uh, taxation without representation, get that discussion finished up. Let's roll into that discussion once more right now. All right, we're into it now. I hope you folks are ready to rock and roll because, uh, well, we're not going to rock and roll, but we're certainly going to talk about uh, ancient documents that uh, inform us as to where it is the Founding Fathers got it in their minds that they had a legitimate gripe with the Parliament of Britain and the King. As you may recall, we left off on episode 10 with discussing the Magna Carta, the 1647 Agreement of the People from Britain as a result of the uh, various conflicts they were having in the mid-1600s in England. And then we also talked about the laws and liberties of Massachusetts. Now, in summary, what, what was the big takeaway from these, these three documents? It was the setting up of a general council, an assembly, a general court, or a reformed parliament of some kind to act as some kind of a buffer in between the dictates of potentially a tyrant and the people. The people were to have representatives, basically. Somebody was supposed to sit down and think through the problem, whatever it was that was proposed, perhaps taxes, levies, assessments, and all these things, and make sure that the people were not being abused. They had, they had some, there was some discussion to be had with it uh, amongst uh, some representative of the people. Going all the way back to 1215 with the Magna Carta, into the mid-1600s, in both Britain and in Massachusetts, and of course elsewhere in the colonies, but we focused on Massachusetts for uh, any number of really good reasons. But um, we find ourselves with these documents demonstrating clearly that there was this expectation there had to be representation in order for the people to not be abused, potentially, by some tyrannical dictate. They had to be represented. In all these documents, it talks about exactly that representation. And without representation, we have ourselves a problem. Because the, the folks who wrote the Magna Carta and these other documents that we talked about in the last episode were very, very clear. Representation is really needed here. We have to have this representation. Otherwise, we have no voice. Okay, so we're going to continue in that discussion and eventually wrap this up. The document we're going to go to next is a uh, document from Virginia. It's the 1621 Constitution for the Council and Assembly in Virginia. Now, again, as we mentioned in the last episode, a council, an assembly, a court in some cases, parliament, a legislature, a congress, these are all really just various words for the same kind of thing. Representation. That's what we're talking about here. So let's start off with this document here from Virginia, and I quote... Know that we, the said treasurer, council, and company, 
taking into our careful consideration the present state of the said colony in Virginia, and intending, by the divine assistance, to settle such a form of government there as may be the greatest benefit and comfort of the people, and whereby all injustice, grievance, and oppression may be prevented and kept off as much as possible from the said colony, end quote. Well, that couldn't have been any more clear, could it? What are they trying to avoid by setting up a council? Quote, oppression, end quote. Amongst other things, of course, they mention injustice, grievance, and so on and so forth, but you get the idea. And this part here, quote, to settle such a form of government there as may be to the greatest benefit and comfort of the people, end quote. Not the king, but the greatest comfort of the people. So they need to set up some kind of a representation here in order for the people to feel like they're represented so that they do not get abused and trampled on, etc. So, again, we've talked about the framework of representation already. Now, with Virginia here, we have them setting up their local council in Virginia. Not in the parliament in Great Britain. In Virginia. That's where their representation was. So that's where their rights were protected. Thus, if you're going to tax somebody in Virginia, it has to run through the Council of Virginia, not the Parliament back in Great Britain. Are you seeing where we're going with this? See how that works? It's all coming together now. I hope in your mind this is becoming very clear. Let's continue. Quote, We therefore, the said treasurer, council, and company, by authority directed to us in his majesty, under his great seal, upon mature deliberation, do hereby order and declare that from hence forward there be two supreme councils in Virginia for the better government of the said colony as aforesaid, the one of which councils to be called the Council of State. End quote. Interesting. So they're going to set up two councils here. You know, we... <clears throat> And believe me, this the structure that they're going to describe here isn't exactly the same thing that what we have today. But um, in our Congress today, we have two houses. We have two sides of the Congress, right? We have the Senate and the House of Representatives, right? Okay. A lot. A lot of eventually, we're starting to get into the modern times here, where they're starting to really build out a comprehensive legislature and representative government. And again, this is Virginia in 1621. These people are these people are on top of it. They know what they're doing. Let's continue. Quote, And this council is to be always, or for the most part, residing about or near the said governor, and yearly, of course, and no oftener, but for very extraordinary and important occasions, shall consist for the present of the said council of state, and of two burgesses out of every town, hundred and other particular plantation to be respectfully chosen by the inhabitants, which council shall be called the General Assembly." wherein, as also in the said Council of State, all matters shall be decided, determined, and ordered by the greater part of the voices then present, reserving always to the governor a negative voice, end quote. A negative voice. Sounds like a veto to me. Um, see how this is all coming together now? We're get, we, we've gone all the way from the Magna Carta. Let me go back to the Magna Carta here for a second and describe this to you, this structure that they, um, they described. Quote, and for the holdings, the general council, the kingdom concerning the assessment of aids, except in the three cases aforesaid, and for the assessing of scutages, we, we shall cause to be summoned the archbishops, bishops, abbots, earls, and the greater barons of the realm, singly by our letters, end quote, etc., etc. So, they're really just going to summon a, you know, a swath of the population, representatives from various places here, archbishops, bishops, abbots, and earls. Obviously, the old structure of the... Uh, leadership, if you will, uh, in the uh, 
in Britain way back when. Uh, we've come a long way since then, all the way up into Virginia here. And what's the difference here? It mentions here the structure, quote, shall consist for the present of the said council of state and of two burgesses out of every town, end quote. What is a burgess? It's a representative, basically. Uh, think about that uh, as a uh, kind of representative or a congressman, as some people might think about it. But uh, that's the general idea. So they're actually pulling their representation right out of the town, similar to the structure we talked about in Massachusetts from the last episode. Uh, they refer to it as uh, freemen, as being representative, and also in jury trial as well. But you get the idea. And uh, just like with the, the Massachusetts legislature today, the Massachusetts legislature still goes by the same name. The General Court of Massachusetts, I believe, is what it's called. And the, in Virginia, it's the same thing. The Virginia legislature still to this day is called the General Assembly. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's just me. And why do I think that's interesting? Why do I think it's interesting that the Virginia legislature is still called the General Assembly? Uh, just like it was here in this document. Uh, quote, which, which council shall be called the General Assembly, end quote. The reason why I find that so fascinating is this document goes all the way back to 1621. Good grief, that was a long time ago. Most people can scarcely remember what they had for breakfast yesterday. And here we are still carrying on the tradition in the state of Virginia, as was constituted in some regard, in the colony of Virginia back in 1621. That's pretty amazing. That's a long tradition. Long tradition. So we have a framework for representative government, which in some form remains to this day, 2021. Uh, the colonists were thus used to handling things locally. You know, they viewed these assemblies as being their parliament of sorts. And while the parliament over in Great Britain represented the people of Britain and had authority over certain issues in the colonies, the colonists saw their assemblies as having authority over those issues um, that were most important to them in avoiding some kind of oppression or violation of their rights, and taxes was certainly one of them. Why? Why taxes? Why did they want that to go through the local council? When when Britain, when they were a colony of Britain, why wouldn't they just let that be run through the parliament in Great Britain? Well, it goes back again to this Magna Carta. They were talking about scutages or aids, which is a kind of levy or an assessment that is imposed upon somebody. They're talking about that has to go through a council. Has to. Well, where was the council? It wasn't in the parliament in Britain. Not for the people of Virginia, it wasn't. It was in Virginia. That's where it was. It had to go through Virginia. Because if it didn't go through Virginia, the people of Virginia didn't have any representation in Britain. It was in Virginia. So that's where they get this concept of their ancient rights and their, their constitution and all these things that the Founding Fathers were talking about, this is where they're getting this from. It's all these old documents that go all the way back to the Magna Carta. And the, and the people in the colonies are saying, back to the people of Britain, or excuse me, the Parliament of Britain, if you want to levy an assessment against us, if you want to apply some kind of an aid or levy or tax or whatever you want to call it, it's all the same idea. If you want, if you want to impose something like this, fine. has to go through the Virginia General Assembly or the General Court of Massachusetts or wherever. That's what you got to do. But that was that was an annoyance to Britain. They didn't want to, They didn't want to do that. And oftentimes, you know, tyrants, you know, they don't want to go through representation to do anything. Right. Think about that. You know, when a when a central power, an individual person, typically an, an executive is what we would call it in the United States. Oftentimes, they really do have this urge to not go through the legislature to do something. They just want to do it themselves and just get it done. And sometimes there's even, this is even welcomed by certain numbers of the people. Just get it done. Don't go through the legislature. Just don't do it. Don't just, just get it done. 
Just issue a dictate and get it done. Without getting without getting into partisan politics here, and that's not what I'm doing, an executive order. Okay, you get the idea? And some people welcome this, and they, they say, oh, bypass the legislature, just issue an order. Be very careful about that. People who say stuff like that without thinking it through, and don't get me wrong, there in some cases the executive should be able to issue some order, obviously with the military commander-in-chief. We've got that all settled, but be very, very cautious out there, folks. You, you have to understand how other people from 1215 in the Magna Carta all the way up through 1647 in, in Massachusetts, you got to understand what these people went through. These people went through that kind of stuff. They really did, and it didn't end well for them. There's a reason why there was a lot of conflict going on in Britain in the 16 in the mid 1600s with these civil wars as they called them. What do you think what do you think that was about? You think that was because people were bored on a Tuesday afternoon and decided to go off and start hacking away at each other? No, not really. It had in part it was it was a it was a number of things, but in part it had to do with some dictates from the central authority. Executive order. There I said it. It's just it's just the way it is. You know, you can't you can't just you can't deny this stuff and you got to be very careful. Don't be very careful about how you embrace the central authority. Be very very cautious. So this arrangement in the colonies in Massachusetts and Virginia we've talked about now this was the norm. They were used to running these very important things like taxes and all the rest of it through their general assemblies. Why? Because the Magna Carta told them that's what you do. And the agreement of the people from 1647 and these wars in England told them how important a well-constituted legislature, for lack of a better way of putting it, legislature, parliament, council, whatever you want to call it, a well-constituted, regularly ordered council was so very important to avoid abuses like what people in the past had suffered. And the only way the colonists knew how to do that, the only logical way for them to do that, was to form a general council or a general court in the colony itself and run everything through there that could possibly oppress the people. And, and, and taxes are a perfectly wonderful way to oppress the people. If that gets out of control, the people are oppressed. There's no doubt about that. You start digging around in people's pockets for money, thinking it's yours, is that not the very definition of oppression? You might as well just steal something from out of their front yard while you're at it. Has to go through the legislature, folks. Now, I now I, I really hope that you understand better. I'm not done here, by the way. But I really hope you understand taxation without representation a little bit better than you did before. I'm really curious to know. I'd love to hear back from some of you folks. Leave a review on this podcast. You don't have to even go over to Patreon to do that. But uh, And again, I most frequently check reviews that, that would show up on Apple Podcasts because that's just kind of my wheelhouse. And I... I that's where most people listen to this podcast anyway, so that tends to be the thing that I check. Leave a review on the podcast and just leave your comment in there about taxation without representation. I'll read it on the podcast. Those reviews don't go unnoticed. I know there's a lot of podcasters out there that kind of ignore their reviews and they don't think much of it. They want I'll tell you why they want reviews, too. They want reviews because it improves the profile of their podcast. The more reviews you have on a podcast... Uh, the more visibility that you have to advertisers and so on and so forth. I don't have any advertisers on this podcast. I don't run ads on this podcast. Now, I have it on good authority that iHeartRadio runs some ads in certain contexts right before the podcast if you if you view it through the website. I'm not sure about the app, but those aren't my ads. I don't I don't do that. That's iHeartRadio. It's that's their stuff. Uh, I don't really care about ads. Any support that I get for my podcasting endeavors comes through the Patreon side of things. Uh, and again, if you don't want to leave a review on the podcast, uh, you can go over to Patreon and leave a comment there. I will read it on the uh, on the podcast as well. And again, none of this stuff will be ignored. Uh, if you leave a review on this episode, 
uh, or on any episode of the podcast. I guess on the podcast generally, you can't leave reviews by episode. But you, uh, I'll bring them in and I'll read those read those reviews because I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I won't take them for granted. And again, I don't care about running ads on this on this podcast. That's not what that's about. It's not me trying to get ad revenue or anything of the sort. I uh, I count on my Patreon supporters for my Patreon podcast. Uh, not necessarily this podcast um, for ad revenue uh, run here. Just FYI, uh, in case you're curious. That's a little inside baseball. But I, I really do want to know if you, if this is if this has enlightened you at all about taxation without representation. Do you understand it better or not? Because that tells me if I'm doing a good job reporting this information to you, and it tells me if this information is is useful to you at all. Now, I hope it is. But uh, we're going to continue on here. And we're going to keep talking about Virginia for a little bit. I got something else we're going to talk about from Virginia. And I got a little side note that I want to talk about here. Uh, I think I might save this, actually, for the end of the podcast. Uh, I got some laws from Virginia that were formed up a long time ago. I I find some of these laws very interesting, and it doesn't have anything to do with taxes. So I'm not going to interrupt this particular section of the podcast with this. But if you want to hear some fun and interesting laws that were passed in Virginia way back in the day, uh, stay tuned to the end of this podcast. We'll have some fun with that. Now, let's talk about Pennsylvania. We've talked about Massachusetts. We've talked about Virginia. We're not going to leave the good people of Pennsylvania out on this. For all you folks out there listening in Pennsylvania, shout out to you. We're going over to Pennsylvania now. 1682, Charter of the Liberties and Frame of Government of Pennsylvania. This one's really going to drive it home. This is going to be the uh, nail in the coffin to every tyrant who wants to tax people without representation. Here we go. Quote, that all other matters and things not herein provided for, which shall and may concern the public justice, peace, or safety of the said province, and the raising and imposing of taxes, customs, duties, and other charges whatsoever shall be and are hereby referred to the order, prudence, and determination of the governor and freemen in provincial council and general assembly to be held from time to time in the said province, end quote. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We've gone from the original framework discussed in the Magna Carta, the, demonst- the, the discussion of the importance of a well-regulated legislature, 1647 Agreement to the People, then we get into the colonial structures of general courts and assemblies from Massachusetts and Virginia. Now we have finally... We finally said it. How are taxes supposed to be handled in the colonies? How was this originally set up? And what were the expectations of the colonists? What was the law that they were operating under? Right there, Pennsylvania, home run. I'm going to read this to you one more time just so we can really let this one settle. Quote, that all other matters and things not herein provided for, which shall and may concern the public justice, peace, or safety of the said province, and the raising and imposing of taxes, customs, duties, or other charges whatsoever shall be and are hereby referred to the order, prudence, and determination of the governor and freemen in provincial council and general assembly to be held from time to time in the said province, end quote. That's plain and simple, isn't it? I mean, they couldn't have worded it any more simple than that. It's, it's basic. Taxes are to be handled in the local council to be held in the said province, right? which in this case would be Pennsylvania. But every other colony had this same general idea here. These taxes were supposed to run through the general council in the colony. Why? Because of the Magna Carta. That's where, the, that's where this original framework was set up. There has, to be, there has to be representation. There has to be some kind of a meeting held to discuss this so that the people don't get steamrolled by some tyrant dictator. 
Because how easy would it be for a tyrant dictator to just run right up over top of the people if they have no representation in Parliament back in Britain, which the people of Pennsylvania did not have? Nor did the people of Massachusetts or Virginia. They didn't have any regular representation over there. Their councils were best handled locally, and that's just the way it was. So that's it, right there. Uh, that, that really, uh, like I said, that's the nail in the coffin for the tyrant. Keep that in mind, folks, that the next time, the next time people want to try to nationalize something and make something a national or federal issue. And again, I'm not getting partisan when here, here when I say this. Some people are going to say, oh my gosh, he's going partisan. Oh my gosh. Holy cow, Roman, he's talking He's talking about federal politics. I'm not getting partisan. I'm just being honest with you folks. The next time somebody wants to make something a federal issue, is it? ask yourself this question. Is it supposed to be a federal issue, or is it supposed to be run through the General Assembly of Virginia? Or is it supposed to be run through the General Court of Massachusetts? Maybe it's a problem that should, that's best left to the people of Massachusetts. Maybe it's a problem best left to the people of Virginia or Pennsylvania. It's not supposed to be a federal issue. Again, there is this tendency in this country today to make everything a frickin' federal issue, and it's not supposed to be. The Magna Carta says no. The agreement of the people says no. The charters of the colonies say no. The Declaration of Independence says no. The Constitution of the United States says no, but here we are in the United States in 2021, and oh boy, everything's just gotta be a federal issue. Why? Because it's easier that way? People don't realize they're signing their lives away. They're just signing it away. And they don't know that they're doing it because they don't have the first clue what the Magna Carta is. They don't know what the agreement of the people is. They don't understand the original charters of the colonies, and they haven't the first clue why the people, the good people, the very smart and intelligent people of the great state of Pennsylvania, at the time the colony of Pennsylvania, created this charter of liberties and frame of government for, the Pens for Pennsylvania. They don't have the first clue what that's really all about. But guess what? You do, because you are a listener of this podcast. And I told you by the time we were done with this discussion on taxation without representation, you would know more than 99% of the country on this. And guess what? You already do. I guarantee you 99% of the people in this country don't understand this. I guarantee you they don't. I know because I've lived in this country for more than three decades. Let's just, I'll, I'll just put it out there. More than three decades. I've been around a little while. And again, I've been reading this stuff for most of my life. So again, and again, yes, it, it's not partisan for me to say that it is a problem that that Americans want to make everything a federal issue. That's not partisan. That that's that's nonpartisan. I'm not I'm not talking political parties here. I'm not ta talking about any one specific issue here. I'm just talking about the. This is a warning from the past. The founding fathers. I am convinced, based on everything that I have read from the founding fathers, and I'm talking about. At this point, it's probably thousands of pages. It's not even hundreds of pages anymore. It's thousands of pages of this stuff. I'm telling you, in my opinion, they would tell you exactly what I'm telling you right now. Do not make everything a federal issue. Leave it to the General Assembly of Virginia, the General Court of Massachusetts, or the state legislature, wherever you are at. From sea to sea, border to border, Alaska, Hawaii, Leave it to your legislature more often than not. Believe me, the, that's the way these these that's the way the colonies were originally set up, and it's the way the the way the states were originally set up. It was supposed to be that way, and there's reasons for it. I hate to have to go off on a rant here, but 
you know, again, this is a huge problem in this country. Again, like 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 I allocate I'll occasionally go off on that rant about Americans and they're they're feeling like they have the right to be happy in this country. They don't. You have the right to pursue happiness. You do not have the right to be happy. Because if all of a sudden you have the right to be happy, then that means that you have the right to anything that makes you happy. Can you see where the problem starts to begin there? Then all of then it doesn't take it's not a very big reach for somebody to say, oh, I have the right to reach into your pocket to take what you have. And we know from a letter that we read from George Washington a few episodes ago, he said very clearly, you don't have that right. He said it was and he said exactly that. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but he said you you don't have the right to reach into anybody's pocket for money. That's what he said. If you don't go back in the episodes, you'll hear it. Some people don't like to hear that kind of stuff from George Washington. I think that's the reason why some people are going to not like this podcast because they don't want to hear that kind of stuff and they don't want to hear, you know, me say don't make everything a federal issue. Because once you start embracing that central authority, that central power, that central power is going to use it to manipulate you. They always do. Every king of England tried it. Every Roman emperor tried it. If you don't know the history of the Roman emperors, boy, there's there's a story for you. The founding, I'll tell you who did know about the Roman emperors, the founding fathers. Scared the heck out of them. Just the thought of that kind of thing happening again. Okay, now let's let's talk about what the Let's bring this back up to, to current, where we're at roughly in our discussions, 1774. Uh, except we're going to stop just short of that and go to 1765. And we're going to talk about the resolutions of the Stamp Act Congress. This was basically the colonists responding to the Stamp Act. We haven't talked a lot about the Stamp Act, but you get the idea. It was basically a number of taxes that were levied against the colonists. The colonists said, hey, you can't do that, and they were eventually repealed in large measure. Uh, the only thing that wasn't, I think, was uh, the duty that was levied on tea, which would explain why, the, you know, fast forward to 1763 and 1764, the colonists were still angry about the tea, which is why we talked about the Boston Tea Party and all the rest of it. So can, let's 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 read from the 1765 Revolu Re resolutions of the Stamp Act Congress. Uh, this was October the 24th, 1765. Quote: Resolved that the first adventures and settlers of His Majesty's colony and dominion of Virginia, brought with them and transmitted to their posterity and all other His Majesty's subjects since inhabiting in this His Majesty's said colony, all the liberties, privileges, franchises, and immunities that have at any time been held, enjoyed, and possessed by the people of Great Britain. Resolved that by two royal charters granted by King James I, the colonists aforesaid are declared entitled to all liberties, privileges, and immunities of denizens and natural subjects to all intents and purposes as if they had been abiding and born within the realm of England. Resolved that the taxation of the people by themselves or by persons chosen by themselves to represent them who can only know what taxes the people are able to bear, or the easiest method of raising them, and must themselves be affected by every tax laid on the people, is the only security against a burdensome taxation and the distinguishing characteristic of British freedom, without which the ancient constitution cannot exist. Resolved that His Majesty's liege people of this his most ancient and loyal colony have without interruption enjoyed the inestimable right of being governed by such laws respecting their internal polity and taxation as are derived from their own consent with the approbation of their sovereign or his substitute, and that the same hath never been forfeited or yielded up, but hath been constantly recognized by the kings 
and people of Great Britain. End quote. That's it. I mean, they make a, they make a, they make one heck of a case here. And this, by the way, this came out of the Virginia House of Burgesses. I forgot to mention that. Uh, and we, as we mentioned earlier, a Burgess is like a representative of sorts from the from the Virginia House of Burgesses. Amazing. It's a great it's a great argument. And and again, they they recognize um, their ancient rights here. They even mention it. I'm going to quote it again. This is from the uh, third quotation uh, that I that I cited. The second, re- the third resolution, I should say. So re- when I said result resolved the for the third time, that's what I'm talking about. The third resolution, and it is I quote: "And must themselves be affected by every tax laid on the people is the only security against a burdensome taxation and the distinguishing characteristic of British freedom, without which the ancient Constitution cannot exist." End quote. The ancient constitution, in part based on the various arguments and so on and so forth, the Magna Carta and all these other documents. And so, obviously, there's documents I did not mention here. I can't go over them all. There's some other documents I, I I'd like to have time for, but I, I selected the ones most applicable to the um, the uh, situation that we're talking about here to uh, give you a good synopsis. But that's the general idea. Everything from the Magna Carta on up, that's what these people really regarded as their ancient constitution. It was various writings and uh, laws and that were established that uh, made it clear that representation was very necessary. And they lay it out very clearly that their, that their representation in the colony, of Virginia in this case, goes all the way back to the beginning. And I'll quote it again for you here. Quote, such laws respecting their internal polity and taxation as are derived from their own consent with the approbation of their sovereign or his substitute, and that the same hath never been forfeited or yielded up, but hath been constantly recognized by the kings and people of Great Britain, end quote. It's never been given up. They never yielded their rights of representation there in the colonies as constituted in the case of Virginia here, their general assembly and whatnot. And what is approbation in that quote? It mentions the uh, the approbation of their sovereign. Approbation is not a not a word in common usage anymore, but uh, it basically just means the agreement. So they they basically say it, it gets run through our council with the agreement of the sovereign. In this case, would be the king. And of course, in the document pre- documents previous, they mentioned the governor. Uh, as being also, in some cases, standing in place of the king as far as local administration within the colonies. There's the argument, everybody. Taxation without representation. They just don't cover that kind of stuff in high school. Honestly, in college, for that matter. I don't know, in some class in college they might, but not, not any one that I ever took. And I took a number of history classes. So I hope that that really, really does solidify in your mind between these two episodes, the episode number 10 and this episode 11, what was going on in the mind of the Founding Fathers when they wrote all this stuff. It didn't just come out of thin air. It wasn't like they just... And a lot of people, again, I've, I mentioned it before, a lot of people act like, you know, oh, it was just a bunch of cranky old people back in the 1700s didn't want to, pay, didn't want to pay their taxes, so they told the king to go to go uh, go pound sand. That's not that's not the way it was. They re, they believed they had a legitimate right to say no taxation without representation according to all of their legal documents that they had and their ancient rights. And based on everything I've read, I fully agree with the colonists in this case. And if I didn't agree with them, I would say it. I'm an equal opportunity guy. If I if I disagree with them, I'll say it. If I agree with them, I'll say it. In this case, I fully agree with their argument. Completely agree. 
They make they make a very compelling case. And the documents from back through history going all the way back to the Magna Carta, they don't lie. They are what they are. And the Founding Fathers really attached themselves to those documents and those rights, and they weren't letting go. They weren't giving it up. And that's a, that's a testament to the quality of people that they were. A lot of these Founding Fathers could have lived a very easy life and not risked anything to fight for these rights. But instead, they were willing to give it all up and risk everything. That makes them a far sight better than any politician today, for the most part. I mean, how many... In politics today, I mean, really, without getting partisan about it, I'm just going to speak honestly here for a second. How much of it is all about money? A lot of it. And it's shameful. And I don't care what side you're on. I really don't. It's, it's money. Money, money, and more money. For the Founding Fathers, say what you want, it wasn't about money. How do I know that? Because they, they, they put it all on the line. They could have all been killed. They could have lost everything. These days, politicians campaign with other people's money, and a lot of people, a lot of times they campaign on other people's names. And think endorsements when you think that. Founding Fathers didn't do any of that. And in some cases, they put up their own money to fight that war. And they certainly put their all of their assets on the line at risk of being burned to the ground or stolen from them. These were men of higher quality. Not in every respect. They had their flaws. I've said it before and I'll say it again. George Washington is not exactly the man that I would wish he would be. I wish I could look back at George Washington and see a little bit of a better character in the man. But for who he was, taking the flaws with the good, the good parts about him were absolutely incredible and honestly almost unequaled in the history of the world. And that's saying something. I give credit where credit is due. And these men did a heck of a thing. And... Again, we're going to continue the conversation about what they actually did do on the next episode of this podcast. Now that we've gone back in time and covered the taxation without representation thing, you're going to have a lot better context for the things that we're going to talk about going forward. Again, let me know in the reviews, or if you want to cruise over to the Patreon site and leave a comment over there, please do. I'm eager to hear back and, and, and figure out if this helped you at all. Or if you think this is useful information that friend that you that you think your friends and family might be interested in, I'm really really curious to know. Um, now I'm going to have a little bit of fun. Are you ready for it? Uh, I you know when I was digging through these letters and everything and these documents, I found some interesting laws. I just picked a couple of them from the state of or excuse me the colony of Virginia, and these were some laws that they passed out of their. Uh, out of 1619, I get I get these out of a document from 1619, laws enacted by the first General Assembly of Virginia. And this is the first one, quote, All persons whatsoever upon Sabbath days shall frequent divine service and sermons both forenoon and afternoon, and all such as bear arms shall bring their pieces, swords, powder, and shot, and every one that shall transgress this law shall forfeit three shillings a time to the use of the church, all lawful and necessary impediments accepted. But if a servant in this case shall willfully neglect his master's command, he shall suffer bodily punishment, end quote. That's an interesting law. There's a lot to unpack inside that law. For, I'm going to cover the most, uh, well, I don't know if it's the most obvious one to you, but it's the most obvious one to me. Quote, Upon Sabbath days shall frequent divine service and sermons both forenoon and afternoon, and all such as bear arms shall bring their pieces swords, powder, and shot, end quote. That means bring your guns. Bring your guns to church. Isn't that something we're still discussing to this day in this country? Can you bring your gun? Can you bring your gun to church? They did it back in 1619, apparently. They were actually commanded to, and there's a reason for it. They had to defend the colony against the uh, invading uh, Indian tribes in some cases. 
I mean, because an easy target for the uh, for 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 an, uh, a violent Indian tribe would be to uh, attack the town while everybody's kind of holed up in the church house on 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 a Sabbath day. Sabbath, by the way, if you're not familiar with the Sabbath, uh, if you're not a religious person, that's basically the religious day. Uh, for Jews, it's um, typically Saturday, and for Christians, obviously, typically Sunday. So they're basically saying church day on church day. Bring your guns, boys. And I I like how they you know it's it's um. They basically make church service, attending church service, compulsory. They say, quote, shall frequent divine service and services both forenoon and afternoon, end quote. So they, they shall frequent divine service. That means you have to. When you see the word shall in a legal document, that means you have to. So much for that whole separation of church and state thing, huh? And by, by the way, we're going to talk about the Constitution at some point. The words separation of church and state are not in the Constitution. They're not there. You can look as hard as you want to. You can use a magnifying glass if you want to. As a matter of fact, you could break out the Hubble Space Telescope and search for a thousand years. You will never actually find the words separation of church and state inside the United States Constitution. Interesting. And by the way, the, the people who founded the colonies and founded the, founded the United States of America, they were these kind of folks who wrote this document. Shall frequent divine service? So it was those, those, those are the people who basically founded the country, more or less. I mean, it was 100 years after this or so, almost 200 years after, but same mindset, believe me. I'm going to read some documents to you that'll, that'll blow your mind. And, and it's, that's a long ways off. It's probably going to be months before I get around to that, but it's, it's going to be an interesting discussion. But that's one law. Let, let's talk about another one. Quote, Whosoever shall take any of his neighbor's boats, oars, or canoes without leave from the owner shall be held and esteemed as a felon, and so proceeded against. Also, he that shall take away by violent... By violence or steals any canoes or other things from the Indians shall make valuable restitution to the said Indians and shall forfeit if he has if he be a free freeholder five pounds if a servant forty shillings or endure a whipping and anything under the value of thirteen pence shall be accounted petty larceny. End quote. And by the way, if you're curious about the unit of measure here, five pounds forty shillings, that's money. Some people may not be aware of that. They they still use the term pounds, by the way. I don't know if they, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what constitutes a shilling. I never really have gotten to the bottom of that because, frankly speaking, it was never important to me to do so. But you know, pounds obviously we still know that today from uh, unit of measure, Great Britain. We know that that's money. So, but anyway, uh, five pounds, forty shillings, thirty pence. It all depends on what the uh, what the crime is. But I find it very fascinating. There's two things that to take away from this: private property. It says, quote, Whosoever shall take any of his neighbor's boats, oars, or canoes without leave from the owner shall be held and esteemed as a felon, end quote. That's, that's uh, theft of property. So that means that people had the right of private property. People owned a boat. They owned a canoe or an oar. You can't take that because it belongs to him. Private property. That's how this country was founded. It was founded on private property rights, which again is why I disagree with the Boston Tea Party. I disagree with it because it was destruction of property, and I don't like that. And according to the laws in Virginia, they would have had to make restitution. That's what, And George Washington talked about that. Do you remember the letters from George Washington and Brian Fairfax? They actually mentioned that the people of Boston should have made restitution for that. More specifically, the, the king and the parliament of Britain should have asked and negotiated res restitution and should have had a had a had an arbitration of sorts with whoever it was in Boston as an authority figure who could have come up with restitution for that tea before any intolerable acts were passed. But the king and the parliament skipped right over that 
and went straight into the intolerable acts. That was the big problem. They didn't even really try to make sure that restitution got paid first. Give the, give the colonists an opportunity. They didn't really even try. But I do agree that restitution should have been paid because, again, according to the laws here in Virginia from 1619 and according to the laws today and the laws that people have been operating under for millennia, private property, you can't take it. Another thing to take away from this, the Indians. Isn't this interesting? Quote, Also, he that shall take away by violence or steals any canoes or other things from the Indians shall make valuable restitution to the said Indians and shall forfeit, if he be a freeholder, five pounds, end quote. You can't even take from the Indians without paying them restitution. That's interesting. I thought the colonists were just there to oppress the Indians, according to some people. It's kind of hard to say you're oppressing the Indians if you're paying them restitution if somebody steals a canoe, Right. There's a whole story about the the interact some of these interactions between the colonists and the Indians, and I'm not saying it was all good, by the way. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's a whole story about these interactions between the colonists and the Indians that most people don't know about, and a lot of people refuse to talk about. And I'm probably going to do—it's kind of an opinion piece, so I, I won't do it on this podcast, but on the Patreon side of things, at some point I'm probably going to do a podcast episode on that topic. So if you're curious about it, Patreon is where you might hear something like that. I find, I, But I find those two things fascinating, private property and also paying restitution to the Indians if you steal their stuff, which I agree with. If you go down to, if you go down to the local Indian tribe in 1619, you steal their canoe, you should pay restitution to them. You're stealing their private property, despite the argument that the Indian tribes always make is like nobody owns anything, or at the, the very least, nobody owns the land. I, I don't know how, how to reconcile those two things exactly, but you see, the European folks, they believed in private property, that's why they say that. They, you know, the... Uh, you have to pay restitution to the Indians if you steal their, their canoe. You don't want to go down there and just steal canoes and boats and stuff from the Indians without paying them restitution. That's the rightful thing to do. And I'm glad they had that law. And um, I'm sure it was probably enforced on somebody at some point. Somebody stole something from the Indians and had to pay restitution. I'm speculating, but that's probably the case. So that's that's it for uh, this episode. I just wanted to cover those two laws. I found those fascinating. I thought that was I thought that was good fun. Uh, sometimes pulling up old laws from states, especially going as far back as 1619, can be a fascinating exploration into the uh, the life of the people way back when. So that's basically it for this section. We are going to conclude this particular episode in the next section. Let's get into that right now. All right. Well, that was some good stuff. I, you know, I really, um, I really like this material, and I hope you like it as well. It, it's, I, I know that it's not the most exciting thing in the world to sit around and absorb information from the Magna Carta and the Virginia legislatures from past and the Massachusetts legislatures from past and Pennsylvania, etc. But I'll tell you what, it, it's these things inform everything that's happening in this country today. Some people may not think so, but it absolutely is. It absolutely is. This should improve your knowledge about what it is that's going on in the country today, how we got here, and did the Founding Fathers have a legitimate gripe when they started the country to begin with? And I, I think they certainly did. They, they make a, Like I said, they make a very compelling case. And I talk about this concept of the central power. Previously, it was kings in, in, in Great Britain and, and elsewhere. In, in the modern time, it's kings by another name. Uh, some call themselves presidents, and I'm not talking about the president of the United States, but some call themselves presidents, and some call themselves prime ministers, really just variations of the same thing. Most of them are dictators and despots, most of them. Uh, most leaders in the world who go by the name of president are dictators. Anybody remember President Saddam Hussein? Yeah, that's right. He, was, he went by the, he went by the, the title of president. 
Where do you think they got that idea? Why in the world would they choose the, the, the term president to describe Saddam Hussein's title? And the answer is, is they're trying to have the image of something that the United States represents without actually having the United States. They're trying to give people the illusion of some sense of uh, quality of leadership. They're trying to borrow or trade on the title of President of the United States is what they're trying to do. But aside from that, you know, there is, a, there is in this country, certainly in the United States, a, a, a love affair with the central power that I don't think has existed in the United States previously. At least, I mean, it's existed for the last probably 80 years or so in the United States. It's not like it's new or anything, but the last 80 years has seen the rise of this worship of the central power. It would be like if the colonists really worshipped at the altar at the altar of King George III. It's really bizarre. It really is quite bizarre. And the people of the United States have forgotten why their legislatures exist. They really have in a great many respects. And I'm not talking about everybody. There's always exceptions to the rule. But the rule in this country is today people have greatly forgotten what their legislatures are supposed to be there for. They do not understand them. By the time this podcast, and by this podcast, I'm, I'm not talking about this episode. I'm talking about the entire podcast. By the time this podcast is done, if you stick with it, you're going to understand how important the legislatures are and why this, this modern-day worship of the central power is flawed to its core and incredibly dangerous. I'll say it one more time. It's incredibly dangerous to worship the central power. It's going to be a one-sided love affair, I can assure you of that. It's always a one-sided love affair. Crack open a history book and start reading, ladies and gentlemen. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. And the Founding Fathers and, and the people from everybody, everybody, think about this, the collective knowledge and history of everybody from the Magna Carta all the way up through the Founding Fathers, they're speaking to you. They are speaking to you. And they're telling you you're doing something wrong when you worship at the altar of the central power. Now, why am I, why am I driving this home so dark? I mean, I've been talking for about two minutes about this. Why am I, why am I beating this horse silly? And the answer is because, again, th this, is, this is a thinking man's podcast, a thinking person's podcast, because I know there's some, there's some uh, pretty sharp women probably listen to this podcast who are here to uh, engage in discussion with us as well. And thank goodness for that. But this is a thinking person's podcast. This is not uh, a lecture series where I pontificate, and that's the end of it. I'm supposed to communicate to you what the Founding Fathers would communicate to you if they were here. Now, some people might say, Roman, that's awful presumptuous of you. How dare you, sir? How dare you say that you can speak for the Founding Fathers, you delusional lunatic? Well, I'll tell you what. To anybody out there who, who thinks that, I haven't spent the last... I don't know how many years. I'm not even going to try to quantify it. It's been quite a few years. I haven't spent the, spent the last few several years um, reading thousands of pages from the Founding Fathers because I was bored on a Thursday afternoon and didn't have anything else better to do. And I'm not doing this podcast because I'm bored and I got nothing better to do. You know, it's because I've really wrapped myself up in the Founding Fathers for a little while now. And I think it's not so much that I feel like I can speak for them because I don't, but I feel like I can bring their message to you and kind of frame it in a modern context. That's why I read directly from the letters. It's why I read directly from the uh, Virginia assemblies and the, those from Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. I read directly from it 
and then I try to context that around what we're dealing with today from our from for, for, from two perspectives. Number one, looking back at the founding fathers and trying to understand what exactly it was they did and why they did it. And number two, how can we live what the founding fathers intended for us? In other words, don't make the same mistakes that generations previous made. And don't squander what the Founding Fathers gave us. People died for this thing. Now, we could all ju I could I could just, you know, wash my hands of that, or, or I, more specifically, I could say, well, they fought for their own freedom and they got it. The Founding Fathers, the generation of the Founding Fathers, they, they had it, their children had it, their grandchildren had it. I guess that's good enough. We can all just flush it down the toilet now. But, you know, something, you know, I, I really want something better for future generations. I want, I want uh, 10 generations from now, I want people still being able to benefit from what the Founding Fathers did and the generations that came after them who fought for this thing. It wasn't just the Founding Fathers. There's a multitude of people who really kept this thing going over the years. And, you know, the Founding Fathers are telling you, and like I said, everybody going back to the Magna Carta is telling you, beware of the central power. Why do you think they wrote the Magna Carta in the first place? You think that, again, they weren't bored on a Thursday afternoon looking for something to do. They wrote it to warn you, not just to protect themselves, but to warn you and to protect you. And and I, I know the listeners of this podcast are some fantastic folks, I think, who really understand this. But believe me when I tell you, the people around you, your coworkers, your friends, your family, in some cases, they don't get it. And I know that because I've been walking around this country for a long time, and I've been to almost every place that you can possibly go in this country. And I've seen a bunch. I've been from border to border, coast to coast, and elsewhere. And I'm telling you, the, these concepts are lost. So we have to we have to bring it back, otherwise this country's going to be lost. It's sooner or later. Maybe not this year, probably not this year, probably not next year either. But, you know, it happens. Like I said, history repeats itself. Uh, and nobody wants to, you know, people think they want to have a love affair with the central power, but then when the central power decides to uh, start getting a little uh, adventurous, all of a sudden things like the Magna Carta get written. All of a sudden things like the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence get written. It's always because the central power decides to overreach. And, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a, a sloppy love affair with the, uh, the central power, you're, you're kind of blinded by that. And doesn't do you any good. The central power is just going to use that against you. And sooner or later, it's going to happen. Uh, and I'm not saying that the the central power of the United States is some kind of a King George III. I'm not exactly, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that it could become that. It could become that pretty doggone quick. You know, the Constitution is really the only thing that stands in between you and it. And what keeps the Constitution going? What can you count on to keep the Constitution going? The central power? Really? Remember what King George III did? We just got done talking about how the ancient constitutions and the ancient rights of the colonists were being trampled upon by the central power. He didn't give a rat's rear end about their ancient rights or their constitutions. They didn't care. He didn't care. King George III, it, it, those things weren't worth the paper they were printed on. You think the central power of the United States is any different? You think there's some reverence for the constitution and the central power? Ah, that's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty big leap. It's a pretty big leap. And who else can you count on? Supreme Court? I mean, in, in any given court ruling in the Supreme Court, there's really only five people standing in between you and losing every single right that you have in the Constitution of the United States. Just five people. Five people can sell you down the river faster than you can even notice it happening. So, you know, build up your own knowledge and build up your own competency with regards to these things and become your own check and balance on this system. 
and be an informed person and make sure the people around you are informed. You know, you know, you, you take a big step when you start cracking open the books or listening to this podcast or something of that nature. That, that, that signals an intent to be a real thinker on this on these issues, which, which makes you which makes you a, little, a cut above most people in this country. Most people in this country are content to watch Netflix and that's it. And not really think twice about the country that they live under, the government or, you know, the fact that people died for it. You know, it's been a long time in this country since we had a major war that really killed a lot of people. It's easy for people to forget just how delicate this thing can be. And uh, an informed citizenry is really the best bulwark against, you know, the kinds, of, the kinds of things the Founding Fathers were talking about in their writings. And the things that they were complaining about. We, ju- we just did three episodes on George Washington talking about this kind of stuff. So we're going to continue, and we're going to soldier on here. And we are going to move on to episode 12 next. And we're going to get back into the letters. And we're going to talk about that. And I hope the letters, you know, I, I try to keep those things as interesting as possible. I try to keep them I try to keep them about the substance of the discussion. Believe me, I, I could read a lot more boring letters to you if you want me to break out, you know, letters between George Washington and his people about his crop rotations and all the rest of it. I mean, I can do that, but believe me, you don't want to hear that kind of stuff. So the letters are, I, I, I narrow it down to very specific letters talking about very specific things per, pertinent to these issues. And if one particular episode doesn't uh, light your fire, so to speak, then, uh, Stay tuned for the next episode. Maybe that one will light your fire. But uh, I think all these letters that I read on on the podcast are fairly important because they all weave together a tapestry. And it's the tapestry of the creation of a country that today supports and enables the freedoms of 320 million people. That's no small thing, ladies and gentlemen. And And for quite a while now, it's provided a guard for the freedoms of hundreds of millions more people around the world. That's definitely no small thing. You start tampering with this thing and you start forgetting what this thing was really supposed to be all about, you condemn those hundreds of millions of people to some kind of fate I don't even I wouldn't even wish on my worst enemy. So let's not do that. I'm going a little long in this podcast, but I just wanted to make sure and make that clear because we're, you know, at the end of taxation without representation this particular episode, it's really uh, you know, it's really a big spot in this podcast. And we've we've talked about a lot, and we're going to start building up into the to the war time. We're getting closer and closer to the war, and as we build closer and closer to the war, this is the time period where people really start dying by the thousands. And I don't think that to be something you know. Again, it's not mythology to me. It wasn't like oh, this happened 250 years ago in a place that doesn't really exist anymore, and people who might as well have never existed because they were so long ago. I can't remember. It's it's not like that for me. It's very real. Those those people who died on the field were um, heroes, most of them. And especially when we get to Veterans Day, you know, it uh, it really it always kind of, as we get closer and closer to Veterans Day and the day approaches, I get a little bit more somber about the whole thing. And it's a sobering experience to think about it all. It really is. And to think about the reality of it. But that said, I'll 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 wrap up this podcast here just by saying, of course, I oh before I forget, I did finally drop the uh, Veterans Day podcast. I did a podcast on Veterans Day, just talking about the uh, the veterans from the beginning all the way up until modern times. And uh, that's on the Patreon side of things, patreoncom slash Roman If you want to check that out. If not, no worries. Uh, again, to all the veterans, uh, like on the last episode, I say thank you. Uh, I hope everybody is um, uh, remembering what we have on Veterans Day, remembering how we got here, and having having a, a good time celebrating the freedoms that we have in some particular kind of way. Uh, enjoy that. 
And uh, with that, I'm going to look forward to the next episode when we get back into the letters. I certainly appreciate everybody hanging with me on this podcast episode. You folks are awesome, by the way. Just fantastic. You could be listening to any other podcast. You could be listening to a true crime podcast, or you could be listening to some other some other podcast that's like uh, got some uh, super exciting media content or something in it. But instead, you're you're here studying with me, the founding fathers of the United States, learning something that's going to enrich hopefully your life and the people around you, and it help enable you to make this country. A little bit of a better place, perhaps, more in line with the, uh, the the principles of the Declaration of Independence, as we all try to do. I certainly try to do that a little bit more with each passing year, as I understand these things a little bit more. Uh, I appreciate you uh, being here. Always do. And with that, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. Thank you.